to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. I want you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Just remain standing in reverence to the Word of the Lord. I appreciate that so much. Turn to John chapter 4. I've entitled this message, Jesus the Messiah. They're going to come back and sing again, so they're going to lead us in some more worship here shortly. But John chapter 4, and I want to begin at verse 27, and then I'm going to read three verses and jump to verse 39. John chapter 4, verse 27. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Notice that. Could this be the Christ? Now I want to go to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, notice this verse, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Amen to the word, right? Feel the power in that word? Amen. You could be seated. So here's the story. On one occasion, Jesus encountered a Samaritan woman near a public well. This woman was very sinful, and she lived what could be described as a failed life. We find out that she had Five failed marriages. She was a five-time divorcee. And when Jesus was talking with her at that moment, she was actually living with another man, which is something that is morally wrong. I need to say that because in our culture, a lot of young adults uh, fall in love and decide they're going to move in together and live together before they get married. The preacher is here today to just remind you that according to the word of God, that is a sin. You can amen me or not, doesn't matter. I'm just preaching. It is morally wrong and you're not supposed to do that. Amen. Good preaching, pastor. Hallelujah. Okay, somebody's got to be a voice. Come on, amen. So she's living in this really bad situation, sinful woman, failed marriages, Here's what's so beautiful about this story, that in response, Jesus shared with her how she could be free from her sin and experience real life. And he gets into this whole thing about living water and you can have life. And I just want to stop right now and just ask you, aren't you so glad that no matter how much you have failed God and how many times you have failed God, that he is willing and able to forgive you of every one of your sins and change your life? Amen. 
I mean, you may have failed in marriage, you may have failed in parenting, you may have failed in business, you may have failed in relationships, you may feel like a failure spiritually right now, but here's the good news, Jesus can turn your ashes into beauty and your mourning into dancing. He can just turn everything around in your life. And so this woman said something to Jesus. Now, we didn't read this, but I'm going to show it to you. It's there in John 4. She said, I know that Messiah is coming. Who is Christ? That's, that's straight out of the Bible. I know that Messiah is coming. Who is Christ? When he comes, he will tell us all things. And in a moment of rare self-revelation, Jesus looked at her and said, I who speak to you am he. In other words, Jesus let her know that he was that long-awaited Messiah. She didn't have to look any further, any longer. He was right there in front of her. It's a great story, isn't it? Now, I just want to stop for a minute and talk about that word Messiah and that other word Christ. Um, my whole life, I grew up in church. A lot of you have. Some of you have not. But growing up in church, I've noticed that I have heard the words Messiah and Christ over and over and over and over. As a matter of fact, we use those words a lot. In just a little bit, I've asked the praise team to come back to sing a song that we sing here at High Praises. Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. All right, so we sing that. Jesus, Messiah, we sing that. That's, that's one of those that we sing right here regularly. And then you're like me, I have, I have used the phrase Jesus Christ over and over again. I've prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. When I preach, I talk about the Christ. We sing about the Christ. We say Jesus, and we use it all the time. And I just think it's kind of funny because I think in some people's mind, they think Christ is Jesus's last name. You know, Chris the star, Jesus Christ. God has a last name, it's Christ. Well, Christ is not Jesus's last name. Messiah and Christ, you're smart. I, I, I pastor a smart congregation. You've probably figured this out. Maybe you already knew it. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah is the English word that comes with transliteration from the Hebrew word Mashiach. And Christ comes from the Greek words, transliteration, transliteration from the Greek word Christos. Either one of those words mean the same thing. Listen to me. They mean the anointed one. So when you say Jesus the Messiah or Jesus Christ, what you really are saying is Jesus the anointed one. Now, why that is important is because we got to go back to the Old Testament and understand this. In the Old Testament, there were three groups of messiahs. Now, not messiahs with a capital M. Messiahs with a lowercase m. Are you with me? Messiahs. What I mean, there were three groups of anointed people. Prophets, priests, and kings. And when you were anointed, here's what would happen. God would direct someone with spiritual authority to pour oil on top of that person's head. And the application of oil signified the anointing because anoint to anoint actually means to apply oil. And we know a little bit about this in the New Testament because in the book of James, James tells us that if there are any sick among you, let them call on the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith and the promises that the Lord would heal the sick and raise them up. And I've seen him do that. So what's the point of oil? Well, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And if you read the Old Testament passages where prophets, priests, and kings were anointed with oil, you would see where the Holy Spirit of God would come on them 
and enable them and empower them to do and to fulfill their assigned tasks. So let me give you some examples. A lot of people know about Elijah. If you know your Bible, Elijah was this mighty, mighty prophet. You know, prayed down the fire from heaven, right? Well, Elijah took oil and anointed the head of a man called Elisha to be his successor. And the spirit of God came on Elisha so that he could do the work of ministry when Elijah was caught up to heaven. Moses took a horn of oil and poured oil on the top of his brother Aaron's head when God said, Aaron shall be the high priest of Israel. David, little shepherd boy David, came in to the house where he lived and the prophet Samuel met him and took a horn of oil and poured oil on the shepherd boy's head and said, you have been selected and anointed and appointed to be the king of Israel. And it came to pass. Elisha became a mighty prophet and, and Aaron was the great high priest for Israel at that time, the first high priest. And, and then of course, David became one of the greatest kings of Israel. And, and they were anointed by God to fulfill their task. Well, here's what I want you to understand. We fast forward to Jesus' day. We have to understand that Jesus was anointed at the Jordan River when he was baptized by John the Baptist. He was anointed to do his ministry, to fulfill his great task of saving the world. So for 30 years of his life, he's a blue-collar worker, the son of a blue-collar worker. When suddenly the time comes, about 30 years of age, for him to begin his ministry, he finds John the Baptist baptizing people the Jordan River, and he goes and he says, I want you to baptize me. John the Baptist says, you ought to be baptizing me. I know who you are. Jesus said, I know that, but we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It's the right thing to do. I want to set an example. So John the Baptist baptizes him, immerses him in the water. Jesus comes up out of the water soaking wet. He's praying to his father when the Bible says the heavens open and the spirit of the Lord descended upon him in the form of a dove, like a dove, and a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It is at that moment that Jesus was anointed for his ministry. Oil was applied, the Holy Ghost came straight on him. And the Bible says, then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. The rest of the story goes like this. The Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the devil showed up and tried to tempt him. But instead, Jesus beat the, beat the, 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 the devil down and beat him to a pulp, I like to say. And, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he destroyed his works and efforts and put the devil in his place. Now watch this. And then the Bible says that the Spirit, uh, that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Are you connecting these dots? Stay with me. So now he's fasted, he's beat down the devil, beat the devil to a pulp, like I, I like to say, and now he comes out in the power of the Holy Ghost and he goes to Galilee. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth. He walks in the synagogue. They hand him, because, because then people would be handed, certain people would be handed, and he's a rabbi, so they would hand him scrolls and let them read and say a few words of the congregation. And so they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, but he picks chapter 61 on purpose. He goes to verse one, and this is what it reads. He reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel, to open the eyes of the blind, to set the captives free, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he rolled the scroll up and handed it back to him and sat down and he looked at the congregation and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know what he was saying? He was saying, I have been to the Jordan. The Holy Spirit has come upon me. I have been filled with the Holy Ghost. I have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. I have been anointed by God to fulfill this messianic ministry because everybody in that synagogue knew that Isaiah 61 was about the Messiah. 
And you know what Jesus said to them in essence? I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am the anointed one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. The waiting is over. Messiah has arrived. And it is amazing if you read the story of Jesus, how Jesus operates, interestingly enough, as prophet, priest, and king. You know, the ones that were anointed in the Old Testament? Well, that's how Jesus operates. Jesus was a prophet, wasn't he? He said, you heard it is written, but I say unto you, making his words equal to scripture. He would, he would speak. He said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. They sent people to arrest him one day and they came back empty handed. And, the, and the, the, the chief priest said, where's Jesus? You were supposed to arrest him. They said, no man ever spoke like this man. He spoke the word of God. One day, you know, if you ever want to thin out a church, just start preaching deep. Just start preaching deep. Start challenging people to live right and take them deeper and you'll thin out a church. Well, that's what he did one day. Man, people started bailing on him and Jesus turned to the 12 disciples and said, you gonna bail too? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. But he wasn't just a prophet who spoke the word, he was the word. He was literally the personification, what scholars call the logos, the word. In the beginning was the word, that was Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God and the same was in the beginning with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the anointed prophet of God who spoke to us the word of the Lord like nobody ever did, but he was also a priest. You know what a priest does? A priest represents God to men and men to God. And in 1 Timothy, Paul said, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus came to be the mediator. He, be, he became the, the go-between. The Bible says in Hebrews that he is a great high priest who ever lives and makes intercession for us, a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. They sang it today, and I don't even know if you paid attention, but they were singing and talking about the chasm that separated me from God. And somebody said that you have a chasm with sin, sinful people on one side, and a holy God on the other, but Jesus came to this earth and through the cross, he spanned the chasm and made a way for God and man to come together. And that's what priests do. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price. And this is what's so cool. This is so cool. You know, most of the time priests offer sacrifices to God. This is what makes Jesus so cool. Jesus is both the priest and the sacrifice. He's both the gift and the giver. He is the offerer and the offering because he is the lamb that was slain for the foundation of the world, for the sins of the world. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Are you getting this this morning? And Jesus came to give his life to bring God and man together again. And only the anointed one can do that. And then he's the king. He's King Jesus. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules and reigns now. I want to say that. He rules and reigns now. We like to talk about the kingdom of God, and we talk about the kingdom now and the kingdom which is to come. And it's true. Right now, there is a kingdom. There is a spiritual kingdom. But I just want to say some things this morning, because I know you watch the news, and you read stuff on Twitter, and you see the stuff that's on wherever you get your news source, and you just live in this world, and America's oftentimes in turmoil, and you see the politics, and you see the things that are being proposed, and things that are what we don't believe in, and things that the Bible doesn't believe in, and we're going to have to stand against, and they may pass laws that make what we're doing today illegal. I know you can't believe that. They may pass laws where I can't preach against homosexuality and transgenderism, and 
sin, any kind of sin. They're going to make it where I can't. They're going to try to say that it's, it's, it's hate speech and that I'm a racist, which none of those things are true. But I'm here to tell you today, when it feels like that the world is out of control and we wonder what in the world is going on, may I remind you that God is still on the throne and they think they're in control, but God is in control. God is sovereign. God rules and reigns. And I know this world is corrupt and you have to live in it and work in it every day. And I know that's hard. And I know you hear things and see things that beat you down and batter your mind. And oh, they just bruise your spirit and, and they grieve your heart. But let me tell you today, it's not always going to be this way. Don't get worried and don't get distressed. You just keep going out as an ambassador for the king and keep shining the light and keep being a man and a woman of God. And remember that God is in control. They're not going to do anything unless God gives them permission. And one of these days, when it's all said and done, they'll all be removed and Jesus Christ will rule this world for a thousand years. There'll be no corrupt politicians, no corrupt business people, nobody pulling strings and doing all the wrong things for selfish reasons, for money and power. They'll just be King Jesus and everything will be right. Hallelujah. He is the anointed king, the anointed prophet, the anointed priest. And I'm glad that he met me in that fashion. I remember when he saved me, he ministered to me as the Messiah. He did you. You know how I know that? Because he spoke to me as a prophet. He spoke to me the word of God. He spoke to me the gospel through a minister. And then he came as the great priest who had paid sin's price and, he, and the blood was applied and he said, I paid the price for you. I've created a new and a living way for you to get to God and I put my faith in what Jesus did and when he forgave my sins, he, I love this, he ousted sin and he ousted death and he ousted anything else that was in charge of my life. They had to go and Jesus came in and sat down on the throne of my life and said, I'm in control now. Sorry, devil, this is God's property. No trespassing. Aren't you so glad that you met the king, the Messiah, the Christ? See, we need to understand what all this means today. Now, let me go back to Jesus' time. Some of you will know this, but in Jesus' day, the average person, the average Jew, had a very different concept of the Messiah than what I've just preached to you. The popular belief was that one day the Messiah would arise as a mighty king, and he would revive the fortunes of the Jewish nation. Everybody would be rich, and everybody would be happy, and everybody would have everything they want, and he would free them from the yoke of Roman occupation. He would dominate the whole world politically and militarily. That was the image of the Messiah. They had some idea that he was supposed to be divine, that he was not supposed to die. They, they, I don't think they really understood the incarnation like we do. But I want you to understand, if you ever read the Bible, you can get frustrated reading the Gospels. I get frustrated because you got Jesus healing people, open blinded eyes, raising people from the dead, walking on water, turning water into wine, doing all this, and, and people see it, and they just won't believe. Do you ever get frustrated reading the Gospels? I'm like, come on, what's wrong with you people? Get with it. You got him right in front of you. I mean, I believe it, and I've never seen him. You have him right there. But you just, I just gave you the reason why. The reason why they did not accept him as Messiah, as the Christ, as the anointed. The reason they, is because he didn't fit their idea of what Christ was supposed to be. You know why I tell you that? Because people still do that today. That's right. 
There are people that want a God who will make them prosperous, keep them healthy, answer all of their selfish prayers, and make life fun and easy. That's the kind of God they want. They want a God who always favors them over everybody else, giving them the edge. You should always get the closest parking spot at the grocery store. They want a God who crushes anyone who gets in their way. They want a Santa Claus God who gives them whatever they ask for. They want a vending machine God where you put in a prayer and pull a lever and out comes whatever you wish for. But I want to tell you today that Jesus did not come and do what he did 2,000 years ago to set up an earthly kingdom, and he has no intentions of helping you set up your own earthly kingdom. I'm going to leave my notes here for a minute. I have been pastoring this church for 22 years, and I have watched young, a lot of times it's young adults, not always young adults, but a lot of times it's young adults you're young, you're full of life, you're healthy, you have a marriage, wonderful marriage, beautiful wife, husband, you have kids, you got your friends, you're moving your way up the corporate ladder, your job, whatever, promotions, pay raises, everything looks good. You've just got all these little things working for you. Let me tell you what happens a lot of times. I've watched people do this. They set up their own little kingdom. Now, there is nothing wrong with any, inherently with any of those things I just talked about. Nothing. Pay raises and promotions and whatever, being successful, go for it. There's nothing wrong with that unless that becomes what life is all about for you. And I've watched it happen. I have. Oh, they come to church. They came to church here. I pastored them. And they sat in here and for Sunday morning did the Sunday thing because we're Southern. That's what you do. You go to church and go to mom and them's for lunch. Whoever them are, we're still trying to, we got a committee trying to figure out who them are. Mom and them's. Okay. But the rest, of the, the rest of the week, all they're living for is money and promotions and power and connections and advancements and their kingdom. And what I always tried to tell them was, you're not a king. You serve the king. And anything you have, it's because he makes you a steward of the king. And when you think you got it all together, let one small cancer cell get in your body and you'll wake up real quick and realize I'm not in charge and I'm not in control. I need help. I need somebody bigger than me. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I want you to understand today that Jesus came as a king to liberate people, not from Roman occupation, but from sin's occupation in their hearts and lives. Jesus came to deliver those held captive by this corrupt world and its immorality. He came to sit on the throne of men's hearts as a good king and a just king who will give each person a greater purpose in life. You need to know that the Messiah came to destroy the works of the devil and make bad people good and sinful people saints and rebellious people righteous. That's why he came. Let me go back to the story of the woman at the well, because that's what this story is often called. And I want to go back to it because it relates the true mission and purpose of Jesus, the Messiah. And when you read the story of this woman, it's very interesting because when she meets Jesus, she says to him, she calls him a Jew. She said, you Jews. And you have to understand, now, I don't want to get into politics. I want to get into things and this whole systemic racism thing, I don't, which I don't buy, 
But you want to talk about having systemic racism. Now, they had it back then. Jews hated Samaritans, and Samaritans hated Jews systemically. Okay? It was two races that hated each other. All right? And so she probably looked at Jesus and said, you Jews. You know, sneered at him. She saw him progressively. Now, see the progression as a man. Just a man. Okay? But she keeps talking to him. He starts revealing things and speaking into her life. And the next thing she says is, Woo, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. So now he's not just a man. He's a good man, a spiritual leader, a religious guy. But she keeps talking. And as she keeps talking and encountering the Messiah, the Christ, that's when she begins to wonder, could this be more than a man? Could this be more than a religious leader? Could this be the Christ? And the reason I bring that up to you is because there may be some people here this morning or watching online who have an affinity with this woman. Because for you, Jesus may be nothing more than a man, a person of history. Maybe you even wonder if he really lived, which he did, okay? There are extra biblical sources that validate that Jesus was a real person who lived in the first century, and then there may be people here today who will say, well, you know, I, I know there's a guy named Jesus, but he was a good teacher. He was a Jewish rabbi. He did some good things. Uh, he was the founder of one of the three major religions of the world, which is Christianity. And that's what I know about him. That's what I believe about him. Well, that's good. But what I'm hoping today is that you will take a good, hard look at him and his life and encounter him and spend some time with him through reading about him and reading his word and places like this where you're in church where, because see, here's what we believe. Remember, you're in a Pentecostal church. We believe you can feel him. We believe you can encounter him. Well, people are going to leave church today on this Mother's Day saying, whoo, God was in that house. See, so you come to places like this and you begin to encounter the presence of Jesus, what I'm hoping is that that encounter will create evidence that will demand a different verdict in your life. Because here's what I want to say to you. He fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies. He changed people's lives radically for the good. He spoke the word of God like no one had ever spoken it before. He lived a sinless life. He died and he was placed in a tomb and he died to, to remove you uh, from you the punishment for your sins. Three days later, yes, he rose from the dead. How I know that is because there's an empty tomb there and they've never found a body. And we believe that he's alive and well, seated at the right hand of God in heaven as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the risen Savior to make people right with God. That's what I want you to believe. That's what I'm trying to present to you. I want to read a quote to you. I don't do this often. This is really rare for me. I don't really bring other people's quotes to you, but I wanted to bring this today. So hopefully you realize how I think important and impactful it can be. There was a guy named C.S. Lewis. You may have heard of him. He was British. He's dead now, but he was, oh, he was either an agnostic or an atheist. He didn't believe in God. He was a skeptic by, by all intents and purposes. Uh, but God saved him, and he became not only a born-again Christian, but he became a, an apologist, a defender of the faith. Isn't that a radical turnaround? A guy who was skeptic about it now spends the rest of his life defending it. This is what C.S. Lewis said about Jesus. And I quote, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be a lunatic. <laughs> On the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, 
He said, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. Here's the line. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And this preacher standing here today I have spent my entire life studying about this Jesus. I've spent my entire life talking about this Jesus. And I have spent just about my entire life personally knowing this Jesus. And I'm here today to say to you, whatever you do, go deeper. Let God reveal himself to you. And reach that place where you fall on your knees. And you look at him and you say, you are real. And you are God. And you are the Messiah. And you are Lord. I'm closing with this. Funny part of this sermon is, this message, I preached all that to get to this. I'm a good Southerner. I went to California to get to Florida. That's how we do when we talk, don't we? We, we can talk around a bush as good as anybody. I, got, I, I said all that to say this. It was the Samaritan citizens of the town that got it right. So the woman introduce them to Jesus. And I think it's interesting, if you read this story, you, you miss the little things. You go, Look, it said she talked to the men. She was one of those women that round, round, get around, I get around. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody in the town, the men knew her. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm not being crude. That's just the truth. You know, she didn't say she went to the women. I don't think the women liked her. You know, back in that day, all the women would walk together to the public well. Do you notice she was all by herself? Yeah, because the other women didn't want her around, old hussy. Get, get, my, get my point? Okay, so she, she goes to the men, and she says, you got to come see this guy that tells me, he's told me everything about, could this be the Christ? So they go, and they encounter him for themselves, and it is then that they come to their own conclusion. And this is what they said. I read it. I'm going to reread it. We've heard him for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You have to know how God deals with preachers. I don't know how he deals with every other preacher, but this preacher, pastor, preacher, God, things jump off the Bible at me. That's how I know when it's time to preach it. It just leaps off the page, and it grabs me, and it won't let go. And that's what happened. The Christ, the Savior of the world. And I thought these are people that, that didn't even know about Jesus. They didn't even, their, their whole concept of the Messiah is warped. The Samaritans weren't like the Jews. They, they, had, they had embraced syncretism. Syncretism is where you blend different kinds of religions and put them together and you've got some kind of hybrid. They were all messed up. But you see, it's not about religion, and it's not about church, and it's not about any of those things. It's just about having an encounter with God. And when they encountered him for themselves, they saw that he was the Christ, the Savior. And that's it. That's what it means when you say Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He came to save you. 
He came to deliver you. He came to emancipate you. He came to liberate you from the power and the depravity and the destruction of sin. And he wants to speak his word into your life. And as the priest, he wants to show you that he's paid the price for your sin and show you how there's a new and a living way to God. And as the king, he wants to eject and remove sin and death and all the, all the damage and, and embarrassment and guilt and fear and shame out of your life. And he wants to sit on the throne of your heart with the most beautiful, wonderful blessings that come when God is in control. My life's a whole lot better now that Jesus sits on my throne. How about you? At his birth in Bethlehem, the angel told the shepherds, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Angels tried to tell us, if we'd only listen, that Jesus came to be the Savior because he was the Christ. And if you let him, he'll be your Lord. Why don't you stand with me this morning? And as part of this message, so you need to listen to me, okay? The service is not complete. This is part of the service. So I'm asking nobody to leave. I want to ask everybody in this building, and this is great. You, you look awesome today. It's great to see people coming back to church. Amen. But I want you to come to the altar. I want everybody in this house, if you're a guest, I want to invite you to just come stand with us. We're going to close out down here. And if you'll just come. If you leave, you're going to miss out. So don't leave. Don't let the devil talk you into leaving. Just come on, everybody. You can, you're going to have to go back down the aisles, but just get as close to the front as you can, please, because we have a lot of people here today. Thank you so much for doing this. Just keep coming to the front and spread out down the sides, and we can go down the aisles. You look so good today. I know it's Mother's Day, and we got people visiting. It's awesome. So what I want to ask of you and the rest of what we're about to do, I've prayed about this, is I want to ask every person here to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to create a sense of privacy that I think is very important. It helps people. It's not necessary, but it is. It helps people. So with every head bowed, nobody looking, here's what I want to ask. I did this in the first service. We had a response. I'm doing it in the second service. Is there anybody here that will say, Pastor Chris, I have heard you preach and so desperately right now, because God is dealing with me, I want to get saved. I want, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want him to wash my sins away, and I want to be changed. I want, I want him to be the Christ of my life and the Lord. If that's you, no, every head bowed, nobody looking, just me looking, will you raise your hand high and say, Pastor, I want to get saved. One, two, three, keep your hands up. I'm not getting numbers, but I just got to see. Just hold your hands up for just a second. Do it for me. Anybody else? I'm not going to linger. Anybody else? Okay, you, you had your hands up. You can put them down. Thank you. You can put your hands up. Thank you. Three people right away. I love that. I love the honesty. I love the fact that you're just true, genuine. I'm not going to linger. Honestly, I'm not. Anybody else in this house say, Pastor, okay, I missed the first round. This has caught me off guard. I'm ready now. I want to get saved. Throw your hand up. Just one more chance. Anybody. I'm looking. I got lights in my eyes. Yes, I see your hand, young man. You can put it down. That's awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? 
Oh yeah, I see you there, honey. Yeah, you can put your hand down. Thank you, right there in the middle. Thank you for doing that. Anybody else? That's five people. Isn't that great? Y'all want to help them? All right, keep your head bowed and let's do this. I've done this for years. We're going to all say the sinner's prayer. And I'm going to, to you five, you say the prayer with us. We're going to say it with you to help you. But I want you to have faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's real, that he's hearing you right now. And, and I want you to trust the Lord. And I want you to just freely receive this gift that he's going to give you. This, it's what it's called being saved by grace through faith. It's, you don't have to do anything. You just received it. And he's going to wash your sins away. And he's going to come into your heart. And he's going to change your life right now. Won't that be awesome? Okay, then let's pray. Everybody pray. And you five, pray, okay? You got to mean it. You talk to Jesus. Direct your prayer to Jesus. Here we go, everybody. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know you know it. I know it. And I'm so sorry. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Something's got to change. Jesus, I know that you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. You're alive. You live to save me. I believe that. Please forgive me of everything I've done wrong. Take my sins away. Wash me. Cleanse me. Please change me. Come into my heart. Sit on the throne of my heart. I repent. I turn from sin. After today, I'm not going back to it. I'm going to live different. I'm going to do what's right because you're going to help me to do what's right. So right now, I declare that you are my Savior and you are my Lord. You're my leader. You're in charge. I'm going to re- live the rest of my life following your lead, doing whatever you tell me to do. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for taking my sins away. Thank you for accepting me. Come on, do this. I like to do this. Say, now I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved. And I know that I am. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, y'all. We need to celebrate this morning. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.